Let's turn to the Lord and let's pray together this morning. Father, we come this Lord's Day and we come and we just say and we rejoice in how wonderful is the whole gospel. We don't hold any piece of it back, but we rejoice in every part of it. We recognize that every part of the gospel was necessary for our salvation. And we do not take one part out, but we need every piece. And we thank you for your great faithfulness in all your ways, that you are good. As we go through our days, as we look at the gospel and see all the various pieces of it, may we ever remember that right now in our day, in, in our life, you are in control and you are God and you are still faithful throughout all the generations into all eternity. And so may we come in faith this morning. Indeed, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so we come wanting the whole gospel and nothing less than the whole gospel. And so we come thankful for your goodness and your grace to every single one of us. We praise you this morning for your great grace, your great goodness towards us. And we pray this morning, may you be with those who are lost, who perhaps they just don't know you. They've had all this world has to offer and they found it, it's, its end is not good and, and they found that it does not satisfy, but we know that in Christ and Christ alone there is salvation and joy evermore to the full. And so we pray for them. We pray for those who are lost this morning. May you help them to see their need for the Savior. We pray for those who do not believe this morning. For those who maybe are even atheists, those who are agnostics or whoever they may be, we pray that you would open their hearts to see their need to believe in what isn't simply possibly the truth, but is the truth. May they see that this morning, we pray. We pray for grace, we pray for wisdom. Lord, as we seek to serve you in our day in the midst of all the things going on around us, all the feelings we might have, all the struggles we might be going through. Give us grace, give us wisdom that we would have hearts to serve you as the body of Christ when we be servants of Christ under our King. So help us, we pray. Help us to be your servants. Help us to be your servants now as we go to your word that you, as your servants, we would listen and we would receive your word as those who hunger and thirst for your word and long to hear it, long to get it in our hearts and get it into our minds and get it into our lives. And so help us, Father, in that. And we pray for anyone who is here or who is lost or is a, does not believe, may they listen and also, and then may they also receive this word this morning. So be with us, we pray. We look to you and we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles there to the Gospel of John. 
We'll be in John 19, verse 31, going into John 20, verse 10. So we'll be continuing the gospel this morning. Now, of course, it is no news to you, but there are those out there, and maybe you as well, who laugh off this message. They, you know, laugh off the gospel, laugh off what we're doing here right now. This is all just really just a bunch of foolishness. And maybe you're here and you're one of those. You know, you just look at this and you say, yeah, I'm here, but I don't believe this stuff. You know, I don't, I don't even really want to be here. You know, maybe that's you this morning. You know, before I became a Christian, I wouldn't say that I laughed off the Christian message. I just, honestly, I didn't care. <laughs> I didn't care about God. I didn't care about the Bible. I didn't care about Jesus. I didn't care about the church. And if you got me in a church, I wouldn't want to be here. <laughs> and maybe, that, maybe that's you too. Maybe you're like that. Maybe you're not just, you know, laughing it off. Maybe you just don't care about these things. You're just like, man, you know, this doesn't matter to me. You know, I'm a child or I'm a, I'm a, I'm a you know, teenager or, you know, I'm an adult. I'm older. I'm, you know, I, I've, I've experienced the world and I just don't care, you know. Maybe that's you. Well, one thing about the Christian message that you cannot deny is that it seeks to unapologetically show itself to be grounded in history. Why do we as Christians, why do we as believers or pastors or whoever you are, uh, believing the Lord, following the Lord, following your King, why do we say this is a message, this is a gospel that is grounded in history? Well, because the Bible, it doesn't purport to be just a book full of nice stories, stories that kind of, you know, make you feel all nice and cozy, you know? I mean, that's not why you're here, ultimately. Like, this is, I mean, coming to church isn't just to make you feel nice and cozy, you know? I got to go feel good about myself and go home. That's all it's about. Whether it's true or not, I don't care. I mean, I just want to feel good and get out of here as fast as I can and get lunch, you know? I mean, that, that's, that's not why we come to church. That's not why, why the church exists. That's not why we gather. That's not why Christians all over the world are gathering right now. That's not why there's some are meeting in secret and hoping that no one breaks into their church doors and takes them to prison. It's more than that. And so it's not just a book full of nice stories, but we, we believe these things. We believe this book because it, these things really happened. <laughs> the maps in the back of your Bibles, they're not there just to make, you know, give a little color to your Bible in the back. You know, they're there because these things happened in real places with real people in history. And this is also why we speak of the truth, not because we just say, you know, here's a Bible and poof, come, you know, come out of nowhere. Here, it just came out of nowhere, this Bible, you know. But we, but we have this Bible and we have this and we say it's the truth because we believe God himself revealed himself in history culminating in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. And so we believe these things with good reason to believe these things. Well, here this morning we continue in the Gospel of John in view of the belief, not in 
made-up events, but in view of the fact of the crucified, dead, buried, and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. So to see this, let's read here then, beginning in John chapter 19, verse 31. May God bless his inspired word this morning. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. And so the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. And he who saw it has borne witness, his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. And so he came and he took, his, took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. And so they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen, Clothes with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. And so, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. While it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. So as we've been walking here through this, at this point, in the eyes of the Jews, they had achieved their goal. Jesus was crucified. He was dead. And so they had fulfilled what they desired. And then Pilate also, he, 
he kind of had achieved his goal as well. The Jews, they were kind of appeased, at least for the moment. (laughs) This, of course, was not the case for the disciples. They were, you know, as you can imagine, they were heartbroken. They were lost, you know, wondering what in the world are we going to do now? I mean, what are we going to do now that he is, he's, he's right there, he's dead, he's no longer alive. The one that they had hoped in was not just gone, he wasn't on a trip, he wasn't on vacation, he wasn't on a journey, but he was dead. And so you can imagine what kind of thoughts they had going on and going through their heads as they were seeing all this, thinking about this. I mean, what of all that he did? I mean, the miracles. I mean, we saw these things with our eyes. We saw Lazarus raised from the dead. I mean, wow, what about all those things? What about all he said? I mean, he said such incredible things that were, you know, true. And he was saying things about himself. And he not only said them, but he backed it up. What about all this? And so... They have all these things going on in their minds and trying to figure out what's going on. And so in the midst of their question and their questions, we might well wonder also, did they remember his words? You know, how he told them that this was exactly what he said was going to happen. Well, I think we can say with confidence that in truth, they, they really didn't, as we'll see here. They didn't really remember all that he had told them. And so, interestingly then, here, the first point we see, the first emphasis following Jesus' crucifixion isn't that he rose, but the fact of Jesus' death. Now, this is a curious thing, isn't it? I think if we were probably writing this today... We would just go right to the re- resurrection, right? Oh, he, he only, yeah, he died, but man, woo, he rose again. You know, you go right there. You know, we just, we want to go right there. And it, it's, that impulse is even right to go right there. But John, he doesn't do that. <laughs> John is the only one of the gospel writers who records the happenings here of verses 31 through 37. Now, as we consider that, as we seek to be good students of the Bible, it would be right for us to ask, why does he do that? Why does he want to make sure that you and I know Jesus was totally dead? <laughs> you know, it was a fact. Why doesn't he just go immediately to the resurrection? Why does he delay? Well, John wants to make it abundantly clear that Jesus was dead. Even more, he wants to make sure that you know, which just may sound strange, but I'll explain it. He wants to make sure that you know that Jesus' body, it wasn't kind of a spiritual body. It wasn't a ghost. <laughs> it, it wasn't a phantom. It was, he had flesh and blood. Well, why does he want you to know that? <laughs> well, while John was writing this, there were these people around at the time called the Docetists, and they were basically claiming that. They claimed that Jesus was only a phantom where he only seemed like he was a human. 
So all this really only appeared to happen. It didn't really happen. It was just a it was just an illusion. Now, if you think this is kind of detached from today, you just wait. I mean, sure this was a challenge of his day, but it'll come back around, you know. Someone is going to say, "Yeah, I think it was he was just a ghost." It's just a phantom, just illusion. That's the way we can kind of excuse and kind of just say, no, 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 no. We don't really need to take seriously the resurrection of Christ. We need to explain it some other way. So sit tight. History has a way of repeating itself. Heresies have a way of repeating themselves. It'll come back around again. And this is when it's important for you to know, no, 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 no. (laughs) He was dead, and he came physically in the flesh, flesh and blood, he died that way. No phantom, no ghost, no illusion. You need to know that. And so, here then, what is John's kind of effort here? He's saying, oh, that's just hogwash, docetists. (laughs) What are you talking about? Instead, what does he make clear from the beginning of this gospel? If you remember, John 1.14, and the Word became and dwelt among us. So you see, even from the beginning of this Gospel, a number of themes are coming together, a number of points are being made, and he's making it clear, I want you to know, he came in the flesh. So to ensure we get the point, John, he writes to put a period over this point, over the fact of Jesus' death. So he does this then by first recounting that his legs weren't broken. (laughs) Again, that may sound strange. Well, okay, we'll just sit tight. So we see this then in verse 31. We are told that this was the day of preparation. So what was that? Well, that is, or it was the day before the Sabbath day. Now, if you're thinking Sabbath... I think maybe some of you are thinking Sunday, right? Well, the Sabbath was not Sunday. It's never been Sunday, ever. It's always been Saturday in the Old Testament. So when you, when you hear this, then you hear this day of preparation, it's talking about the next day, which would be Saturday. That means this day is Good Friday. So Saturday, not Sunday. Just remember that. Sunday is the first day of the week. Did you know that? <laughs> Sunday is the first day of the week, not Monday. And so Saturday was not, um, or was the Sabbath day. And so according to Deuteronomy 21, verse 22 through 23, and you can look that up on your own, anyone who was hung on a tree was cursed, and they were not to be left overnight. That's what they are called to do. So how does that relate here? Well, this was all the more important on the Sabbath day coming as well as like in view of the Passover feast so this was a high day indeed and so the Jews then in view of all this they go to Pilate and they ask him very you know just a very kind thing they're really caring for the crucified people here right you know why don't you just break their legs you know I mean wow that's it's very considerate of you to think of them no they, they want to have the these different people some were criminals And then there's Jesus, and they wanted their legs broken. And so why in the world did they want that to happen? Well, by breaking their legs, 
which they would usually do with an iron mallet. So we saw last week how they were seeking to maximize suffering in the cross. Well, they're not letting it up here. They're going to hit your legs with an iron mallet and just shatter them, you know, while you're still alive. Well, they wanted that done, and they wanted that done because by having their legs broken, they're there on the cross, and every time they needed to breathe, they needed to kind of push up, you know, and remember they had a seat on that beam there. They used that sedacula to kind of rest for a moment. Well, they would push up with their legs to breathe. And then they'd come back down. Well, now with their legs broken, they can't do that anymore. And that means they're going to die. And they're going to die rather quickly. And so Pilate, he then grants their request. But as the soldiers then go from person to person... And they come to Jesus, they see plainly they have no reason to break his legs. Why? Because he's dead already. <laughs> so this happened, but John is trying to show you he was really dead. <laughs> you know? And so he was dead, he was already dead, and so they don't need to break his legs. But they don't leave it there. In order to make sure, we see that John makes clear second here to make sure you know so second then, they make, he says and shows us here, his side was pierced also. And so what would they do here? They, they, they take a spear and they pierce him through. And as they do that, it causes all this blood and water to spill out. And so if Jesus was not dead up to this point, he would have surely went, mm, or something, but he doesn't. Some sort of outcry, but if he was still alive... This would be the point when he would not be alive anymore. A number of levels for you just to see clearly he is dead. And so the blood and the water, they spill out, declaring without a shadow of doubt that he was dead prior to being pierced. So William Edwards, the medical doctor, he did kind of a study on the crucifixion and he wanted to look at it from the perspective of medicine and science. And so he did that. And he looked at these different details of the crucifixion and, and how it happened and everything else. And, and he wrote his findings here in the Journal of the American Medical Association. He writes this. Clearly the weight of historical and medical evidence indicates that Jesus was dead before the wound to his side was inflicted and supports the traditional view that the spear thrust between his ribs probably perforated not only the right lung but also the pericardium and the heart and thereby ensured his death. Accordingly, interpretations based on the assumption that Jesus did not die on the cross appear to be at odds with modern medical knowledge. Why in the world do I point that out? It's because, again, we need to see that this is based in facts. These things really happen. And so as John writes all of this, again, why he's making it absolutely plain, he was really dead. He was not a phantom. He was really physically dead. And as he continues on here, he tells us all this that you and I might not just kind of hear it, but that you might believe. Not so you'll merely believe that, yeah, I, I see it. He, he was dead. But 
yes, see that he was dead, and also see that though he was really dead, right now he is very much alive. So at this very moment, while everyone's confused and wondering about what's to come with Jesus, God is saying clearly, this is all being done according to my word. See how my word is being fulfilled and believe. He died. He was buried. And He is risen. Believe these things. All of this, His bones His bones not being broken, the piercing through of His side are coming about according to God's Word. And you can read of them in Exodus 12.46, Numbers 9.12, Psalm 34.20, Zechariah 12.10. Real passages you can see there for yourself. Hundreds and hundreds of years written before Jesus ever came so that you would know and see God is God and He brought all this about so that you might believe and be saved. So God, He wants you and me to see that this is not mere fancy. It's true. Now don't don't get this wrong either. God does not simply want you to intellectually believe this. But He wants your heart. He wants you. He wants all of you. He's calling you the true belief. He's calling for you to be like the man who found a treasure in a field. And he went and sold all he had and went and bought that field. Because he wanted Christ. Because this is all true. And he wants... He would sell, he would give up anything for Christ because he is worth it. It's all true and we're called to believe by faith and trust these things and trust in Christ. So he wants you to see that all this and see that Jesus really faced death for you. He didn't die in abstract, he truly died that you might truly live and that life through him, that your chains would be broken, that all your sins, all your debts, all your rebellion against the living God would and can be forgiven through Christ and Christ alone. And that's why he writes all these things. So we have then before us the fact of Jesus' death. And then we move then to second, we see here the fact of Jesus' burial. Again, John is doing something similar here. He's seeking to let this be firmly planted in your heart and in your mind. And so Jesus, he died. And as we see here also, his body, it was taken and it was buried. Again, this is some things that, you know, we see, but wants to make this clear. As the other Gospels record as well, Joseph of Arimathea, he comes and he asks Pilate for the body of Jesus Now, as we find from the other Gospels, and even from here, Joseph, he was a disciple of Jesus in secret because he feared the Jews. Now, and we learn from the other Gospels that also of Joseph that he was rich. He was a a member of the Sanhedrin or the council. But in truth, he had nothing to do with the decision to crucify Jesus. From Luke 23, 51, we see that. And so, Joseph goes. But along with Joseph... 
we have a surprise. <laughs> Here comes Nicodemus along with him. No longer, if you remember back in John 3, Nicodemus, he went to Jesus by night. But here he's no longer coming by night. Instead, he and Joseph both are coming, no doubt, at great risk to themselves to provide for Jesus here by day a proper burial. They don't know what is to come. Yet even so, their devotion to Christ outweighs the risk. Only God knows what would be of these two men, but I think John, he is setting them both before us here as examples of men who were indeed devoted to Jesus and very likely were not just coming into the day to get Jesus' body, but they were indeed now his disciples. Nicodemus was no longer walking in the night. Now he is walking in the day and saying, I belong to Christ. And so the devotion is plain here and they would uh, here ensure Jesus was given this proper burial, wrapping him then in linen cloths with spices as well. And so having done all this, they place him in a tomb and they place him in a garden nearby. I find that interesting. I don't think it's an accident that again we hear of a garden here. John, I think he may very well be encouraging us to think back to what other garden, to that other garden where all was lost, where the curse began, and now him who was the curse for us would be laid in a garden also, in a garden we died, and so also it would be in a garden he would rise alive to give you life. So in all this we see he was really buried. He wasn't buried alive. He wasn't faking it. He wasn't pulling a Romeo and Juliet, playing dead. And at this, at Joseph and Nicodemus's devotion that we see here, we are being drawn in also to believe and to walk in the light where we are to walk in greater devotion to Christ and not less. We know what happens next here. We know that Christ does not remain in the grave, but they did not. We know He is risen, and as we declare on Easter Sunday, He is risen indeed, but they did not know these things. How much more then should our devotion be to our Lord knowing all these things? We know He has risen, and He is risen indeed. And so, you see their devotion to go and bury Him then, so then may our love for Him deepen, may it grow, may our, heart, may our prayers be made all the more lively, more aimed, more centered upon our King, all the while coming with assurance, knowing we aren't praying merely to these walls or into the air, but we are praying to our God on the basis of Christ who is alive and glorified and even now sitting at the right hand of the throne of the Father. Amen. And so may we see their devotion and may it call us and 
encourage us and spur us on all the more to deepen our devotion because we know he was risen. So what wouldn't we risk for Christ? What wouldn't we do for Christ? In what ways would we not serve for Christ? And where would we not go for Christ? And the answer would be, I will do anything, Lord. Send me, I will go. And so he was dead. He was indeed buried. And thirdly, we see the fact of the empty tomb. And so we come to these last verses, of course, with great anticipation. (laughs) Will Jesus still be buried when they go to the tomb? Will they find him there on the third day? Now, we already know what would happen. We already know what happens, but we already know what would happen as well from what Jesus has already said. Jesus, he had already told his disciples plainly, as we see in Matthew. He says there in Matthew 20, he tells his disciples, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. So in total, in the Gospels, we have some six times where Jesus, he tells his disciples this, and we can imagine that, you know, he probably told them this more than that, but we have that recorded in the Gospels here at least. Yet, as we've seen in the Gospel of John, they don't really quite get it, you know. They don't fully hear him nor grasp the fullness of what he means. So in these verses then, we see both their doubt and their faith. So on Sunday, the first day of the week, as we read here, Mary Magdalene, she goes to the tomb and she finds the stone which was rolled in front of the tomb, sealed by the Roman soldiers. John doesn't tell us that here, but we know that from the other Gospels. So it was sealed, but what they find here is that it is now rolled away. And so she sees this and she runs and she goes and tells Peter and the disciple that Jesus loves, so John, and she tells them, Someone has taken Jesus away. And so we just see all this kind of wonderment going on. We have all this confusion here, all this concern. But we don't really necessarily see faith here as far as we can see. And it seems to be the same with Peter too. You know, he might believe, but really I don't think... He's just kind of trying to figure all this out. And so he and John, at hearing this, they run to the tomb. They kind of get in this competition, you know. And one of them, you know, John gets there first. And beats him out. And so at seeing the empty tomb and the linen cloths lying there, Peter, he, just, he looks on in wonderment over these things as Luke tells us. Yet John, as he sees all this, he doesn't, he doesn't simply look on and kind of have this matter-of-fact kind of belief here. You know, he doesn't just kind of say, oh yeah, you know. Oh yeah, the tomb is empty. All right, got it. Mary was right. I believe, you know. I believe that. I believe the tomb was empty. But it's saying more than that here. It's saying that even at this point, John, he believes. He believes that Jesus isn't there for a reason. He believes that Jesus is alive and he is right. And so we see he, Jesus, wasn't there. 
And we know why he wasn't there. The fact of the empty tomb, it points to the greater fact of the resurrection of the king. He wasn't there because he was risen. No one came and took his body. Jesus didn't sneak out. No, Jesus was and is alive right now. And so we need to say again, all of this, even as we began, this is all about real things happening in history, real events. If religious leaders and authorities could have disproved Jesus was risen, if they had the body or had found the body, they would have said most definitely at that time, no, no, here he is. We have his body. You don't need to believe these crazy people over here. They're all liars. He's dead. But they didn't do that because they couldn't do that. Man, they would have wanted to do that. (laughs) But they couldn't. Nor would it be that the disciples were merely lying. You're saying, oh yeah, that Jesus rose from the dead. You know? But, you know, they they say that and then they're lying too, maybe? Would they do that? Would they really say he was risen from the dead? while they knew he really wasn't? Because they would have known, right? They would have known that he appeared to them in person or not. And so they either knew and they were preaching a false truth, they were saying all these things happened and they didn't, or they really knew because he was really risen from the dead. And if we wonder about this, and you're saying, well, they could have died for something, you know, that they thought was true. Well, just think of here, they went about preaching and going about, and they would even go on to die as gospel, uh, die for the gospel as martyrs for Christ. Now, as others have said, men will die for what they believe to be true. Though it may actually be false. And we see that everywhere. That's going on right now with all the other religions of the world. They're dying for what they believe to be true. But in actuality, is false. So I'll repeat it. Men will die for what they believe to be true, though it may actually be false. They do not, however, die for what they know is a lie. And the disciples would have known if it was true or if it was a lie. He either appeared to them or he didn't. So we can't say that either. So if you're here and you don't believe... You're saying all these things. Well, yeah, they they just made this up. Well, no, 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 no. You can't get out of this that quickly and that easily. They had a reason they believed. There's a reason the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the authorities, Pilate included, they could not find the body. Nor also, perhaps, if you're going to say, oh, well, you know, he might still have been alive, you know, when he was in the tomb. He wasn't dead yet. That's, that's how it happened, you know. He wasn't dead when he got buried. That's, that's how he came out. You know, he, he was still alive when he went to the tomb. Well, let's just, let's just go with that. Let's just say that was the case. Let's say he was still alive when they took him off to the cross and they buried him. Lee Strobel, an author and apologist, he asked this question of you and of us to consider. 
Suppose Jesus did survive the cross. Suppose he was able to escape the burial wrappings. Roll the rock away from the tomb. And get past the Roman soldiers who were standing guard. After suffering the trauma of the cross and such catastrophic blood loss. Would he have inspired the disciples to hail him as a victorious conqueror of death? Would they have been motivated to start a worldwide movement based on the hope that someday they too would have a post-crucifixion body just like his? Can you just picture that? This bloody, beaten mess of a person. Barely alive, so weak it could barely... You have to hold him up. And you're sitting here saying, Oh, he's risen! <laughs> you know? He's risen indeed. Let's get him to the hospital as we can. You know, that's they wouldn't go out and just go preach Jesus. He's risen indeed. No way. And that's an aside from the fact that he rolls away from a tomb when he has barely any strength at all to get up, conquering these Roman soldiers as well who know how to fight. So we cannot say that either. And so it is that we don't just kind of affirm these things intellectually, but we, from the heart, and with assurance as believers in Christ, with conviction, we say we believe. Christ is not ours in a hope, and maybe He's there, but He is ours in truth. He is ours now. He is ours today. And He is ours forever if you know Him. We do not have a wimpy, unreasonable faith, but our faith it is grounded in the truth. It is grounded in history. It is grounded in real happenings and realities and no fictions. We believe these things because they are true. And so what many reasons we have to believe in how this Gospel calls us to faith. It calls us to grow in our faith and it calls us onward to follow the true, risen Savior, Jesus Christ. So then, may we believe and confess the reality of His death, burial, and resurrection. May we do that with conviction, with boldness, and stand confidently upon this good gospel with bold assurance and faith. We have a gospel to preach, so may we preach it. So may your devotion not be a mild devotion, but give Him all your life, all your heart. He is risen, and you are His. So live for Him, and so let your faith abound. Risk, live, give, go, serve, love, forgive, seek God, know Him, love Him, put your faith in Him, and live for Him. Amen. And if you're here and you don't know Him this morning, hear His call. And the real and the living Jesus Christ calling you to believe to put your faith in the living, breathing, risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come and just 
Thank you, Father, that in so many ways you show in your word these things to be true. You are making it abundantly clear again and again for all of us. Many, many reasons to believe these things, to glory in these things, to see the fact of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so we do. And I pray, Father, that you would help us, Lord, that we would believe with the kind of devotion that really believes these things, that, that we would go out of here as those who say and profess that we know Jesus Christ, that we wouldn't just go out saying it, but we'd go out showing it and, and speaking it and telling it and sharing it, Lord. Help us, Lord. Yeah, we may be afraid. Yeah, we may not know all the answers. Yeah, we may not know exactly how to share this or that. But help us, Lord, to see that we have a message that is true. And that message that is true is to go out from us. It is not to simply to stay here in our churches, but it is to go out and we are to go and make disciples of Christ, who is our Lord and our King. That though he was dead, buried, he is risen. And so help us, Father. Pray this morning, if there's anyone here who doesn't know Christ, that they would put their faith in Christ. They would see that he indeed is the Savior who came to die for them and their sins. That this day they can have all their sins forgiven. All their debts, all their shame, all their guilt will be forgiven. And they can know you this, this morning. Pray for all of us that we respond. Grant us your grace and devotion and boldness to preach this true good news. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.